This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to A Big Country, I'm Clint Jasper, and it's lovely to have your company as we join our reporters across regional Australia exploring their local communities. This week we're meeting female livestock farmers who are bucking the trend to dominate the goat industry in North Queensland. We'll hear about a career change from the stress of farming during dry times to dishing up delicious desserts in a mobile food van. And we'll meet the university law student juggling her studies alongside her second passion, working as a contract musterer on outback sheep and goat stations. Literally every person that I meet is like, what? Everyone is so taken back when I say that I'm studying law and it's such a question of like well why why are you mustering and working on stations and why what is the overlap there and the overlap literally is that I my passion like I love both of them so much and I don't want to stop doing either. We'll hear more from 24 year old Ruby Buchanan about how she manages the competing demands of those two pretty different passions that is coming up. First today, we're heading to South Australia's Riverland region, where a team of netballers have tailored the game to a pace that suits them better. As Sophie Landau reports, they're still getting many of the positive benefits of sport, keeping their bodies moving and hearts pumping while having fun with friends. It's a balmy weekday evening. I've got my sand shoes on, my water bottle ready, and I'm ready to get moving. Hey there, I'm Sophie Landau, and I've come along to the Barmer Neville Courts in South Australia's Riverland region, where I've met up with about two dozen women all different ages, from their 30s to their 80s. Surprising the number of people that have sort of come out of the woodwork. Yeah, so I love it. Yeah, it's so good. We're here to play some netball as the pink and black bibs are divvied out and we all take our places on the court. Yes, we have Jewelry, a very serious I'm in charge of checking fingers. It's game time and the umpire blows her whistle. And then she blows it again. And she says something not often heard on these courts. Running! No jumping! <laughs> this is walking netball. Riverland Walking Netball coordinator Kerry Albrecht first saw a video online of this unique sport being played by a group of 90-year-old women and thought, hey, this looks like fun. And uh, then Netball SA ran a, a workshop up here, I think it was about May. And yeah, we just decided to start up our own and just see how we go. So what is walking netball? Okay, so basically it is netball, but you cannot jump and you cannot run. There are a few adjusted rules. You can take a step with the ball and you can hold the ball for four seconds. So a few adjusted rules, but um, and there's no face-to-face defending because they don't want people to be anxious about it. Um, but other than that, it's netball at its finest. Tell my mother to slow down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, that's what it is about, yeah. isn't it? Yes, fun. Yes, yes. Serious fun. But fun. Oh, yeah, I mean, the muscles that hurt the most, I swear, are my cheeks. Just yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See? Got one out. Jump, SJ. 
everyone is welcome here, regardless of their age or ability or injury, which Kathy Schleeps knows all too much about. Well, being an XA grade player, yes, there was lots of injuries, ankles, um, shoulders. Then I sort of moved on to umpiring and uh, did some badging. And then I had knee problems with umpiring, but fortunately common sense dictated that they changed the style that we ran, so running forward. But uh, yes, had a couple of arthroscopies and that sort of thing. So, But walking netball has enabled you to get back into doing the game that you love and have always loved at the ability that we can manage. <laughs> oh, <laughs> gives you an opportunity to have a good laugh and it's just it's the social contact as much as the fact that it's an avenue the game has given us an avenue to be with people that we can laugh with and have a good time with and that's really important contact but as player jill clifford points out well it doesn't always have to be a slow game. It certainly can be, especially if you're protecting yourself, but it can get a lot faster than you might imagine, especially when she's on the court. But I think as you've seen, the ball can still move quite fast down the court. And once you get the idea of you can't run and you can't jump, I think it gives you a bit of exercise. You can see we're all huffing and puffing out there tonight. Jules also known for cracking up her teammates, dishing out one-liners and quick-witted zingers. <laughs> Age is not a factor. I think our youngest player is 15 and there would be regularly half a dozen women out in their 70s. I think the thing that surprised me is that a majority of people out here are in their 40s and 50s. It really doesn't matter on your school level. And I think the other thing is that it's about meeting new people. I've met a lot of women that I've not known who they were and vice versa. I think most of us would say we've never laughed so much. <laughs> and of course, this team here in the Riverland isn't the only one. The sport, Walking Neville, was developed in 2017 in England and it's played all over the UK, Australia and New Zealand too. There's other slower paced sports as well, like walking basketball, cricket, hockey and soccer. So this sport is all about moving at your own pace and having a good time. As Kerry says, it's netball at its finest. Three cheers for black. Hey, hey, hey. Three cheers for pink. Hey, hey, hey. Three cheers for the umpires. Hey, hey, hey. I was at uni in Armadale, University of New England. I was kind, and we'd just gone through COVID the past two years and was kind of getting a bit restless <laughs> at uni and was looking for to get back into station work. So I started over at Rollinner Station in WA for Jumbuck Pastoral when I was 18. I took two gap years over there. Yeah, then I had to go to uni because <laughs> I had to educate myself. And yeah, and so I wanted to earn some more money, get back into it. And I had a friend... Well, my dad had a friend who was an investor in a station in Menindee. So, yeah, that was how I came to the far west. 24-year-old Ruby Buchanan is juggling the demands of not one career, but two. 
She's following her passion for law alongside running a contract mustering business on sheep and goat stations in the far west of New South Wales. Since starting her business, she's been slowly building up contacts and regular work. I literally just cold called people. (laughs) It's pretty embarrassing. And just like sent emails, Facebook on the mustering page, like, and then just literally just tried, just any job I could get, I just took it and now it's really fun and it's now that I'm a bit more established. And what were people's first impressions when you'd rock up to their station and tell them your experience and I guess your background? Well, every time that I rock up to a station, a new place that I haven't worked at, everyone thinks I'm a backpacker who has no idea because I um, also I wear like a lot of jewellery and like I wear pink and I talk probably a bit different to everyone else. Hello, I'm Lily McEwer. I've caught up with Ruby at Marapina Station, about two hours north of Broken Hill, where she's chatting to me during a break from yarding sheep. Getting from A to B in remote areas like this can be a challenge. With limited places to stop for fuel and patchy mobile signal, ensuring you're prepared is critical. Ruby is getting by with the basics. So I have a 1999 RAV4 that is green. It has no aircon and we're in the heat of summer right now, so it's shocking to drive. And then I have my two dogs, my two Kelpies, Holler and Smiley, in the back seat. So they take the back seat and then I cram my swag and my clothes in the in the little boot. I have a 6x4, which I got off Marketplace. And I have my motorbike on there and we just drive around in that and it's not ideal. When you first rock up and you haven't worked for them, like they're like, whoa, and they'll probably put you down a peg maybe in their mind. But literally, I think you just have to push through that for the first day. Forging a path in both industries, Ruby says it hasn't all been easy trying to meet university deadlines while ensuring she's keeping her employers happy. She says that she's learned to be extra organised while ensuring she is open and honest with her employers and teachers. Sometimes it's really stressful because I'm like trying to kind of make a path in both of these areas because I'm so passionate in both of them. So I want to give like quite a lot to both and I don't want to say no to, to mustering jobs and I don't want to, you know, put my studies on the back burner either and even volunteering at the ALS, like that is, like finding time to, to do that is near impossible as well and I just kind of plan ahead I have my google calendar and I really plan ahead like when I have my assignments due um, when I have my exams and I just really make sure that I don't book work around those dates which means that usually everything's quite back to back like it might be finishing a job and then finishing the assignment like the next day racing back to town to get it in but then you know if things don't align and something does pop up that I need to either go to a job or I need to do an assignment that somehow it has escaped my mind. All the stations I work at, they know that I'm studying law and they're all, like, I'm very upfront about it. I always say that that kind of is something that I have to prioritise at times. I would say all of them give me the time when I, when I need it to do my assignments and they're super understanding. And I think that they all kind of believe it'll all come back around to them too like I'll be able to help them out you know they're helping me out now. Have you come across people that have been really surprised by you juggling a law degree and then mustering? Yes literally every person that I meet is like what? Everyone is so taken back when I say that I'm 
studying law and it's a, such a question of like, well, why? Why are you mustering and working on stations and why? what is the overlap there? And the overlap literally is that I, my passion, like I love both of them so much and I don't want to stop doing either. Do you think that in the future you'll be able to keep working in both industries? Uh, yeah, definitely. So I, well, like long term, I want to like live on a station and own a station one day and I think that what's becoming apparent as I'm getting older, the way, the only way that really you, that someone who wasn't born on a station, born into it, can kind of achieve it is by like going out and ha- and having to earn reasonable amount of money to do that. And I think my other passion, like being law, if that is the way that I can get to help people and own a station and well, then that's kind of something that I'm willing to compromise on and if I eventually can get there. While some may think mustering combined with a law degree is somewhat unusual, Ruby says that there is certainly a crossover when it comes to the skills she's acquired. In terms of like those kind of traits, like being adaptable, like I'm super adaptable now because I just have to go to a new station and just be able to be friends with people of of all backgrounds and ages and, you know, views and things like that. I'm good at planning now, which has kind of had to happen and being organised, which is hopefully going to help me. I, I honestly think like the biggest thing is literally like being able to kind of like find ways to relate to people on like all different levels because yeah, like I said, everyone that I meet is just from, they're all from such different walks of life like and you just have to be able to live live and work with them and sometimes you're spending, you know, two, three weeks in close quarters like you're all using the same showers and and eating dinner together every night and everything like that and so you just literally have to get along with everyone and so I think that that kind of put me in a good position in terms of getting along with clients because I really feel like I can relate to almost anyone at this point. Musterer and university student Ruby Buchanan. She was speaking with Lily McEwer from a sheep station north of Broken Hill in the far west of New South Wales. You can read more of Ruby's story. You'll find it on the ABC homepage. Just search for A Big Country. I'm Clint Jasper with you for A Big Country. Still to come from crop farming to selling strawberries and cream from a food van. We'll meet the farming couple who've made a big career and lifestyle change. And it's no secret agriculture is an industry that struggles when it comes to equal gender representation. But it turns out there's one sector that's bucking the trend. Women in the goat industry are well on the rise, as reporter Abby Holter discovered. Don't. (laughs) Don't disgrace yourself. Don't disgrace me. You're supposed to be on the best behaviour. Hey, remember we talked about this? She's not kidding when Mackay goat producer Kylie Lay says she got into the industry for an interesting reason. There's no reason why I should be scared of them, but I'm scared of cows. So we went into goats. They're so personable. These are animals with a huge amount of personality. They can be aloof, they can be standoffish, they can be cantankerous and ornery, uh, and they can be extremely loving. Um, And they're small, um, so they're manageable. If I have a buck that's playing up, I can manage it myself um, and... And I'm only a small woman. I can do that. Um, Whereas I would not feel myself confident because I'm scared of the things. I wouldn't feel confident doing it with a cow. I can do it with a goat. Hello, I'm Abby Holter. 
I'm chatting to Kylie Lay among her friendly goats on her farm in the Mackay region of Queensland. Kylie is the secretary of Queensland Goat Producers Incorporated and says it's often women who take on the majority of goat farm management. In a lot of cases, it's the wives who do a lot of the um, animal husbandry and, and that to do with goats. There are a lot of women in my situation. Um, our husbands work away and, and we're managing. In your organisation then, you do have a, quite a lot of women. Would you say more women than men? I definitely say more women than men. Um, we've got 150 members and out of those, there are quite a few husband and wife teams, but um, even the associations we have with the universities, we've got, um, we've, we've got quite a few women researchers who are looking at, at um, the goat industry through um, MLA grants and, and those sort of industry grants. And you would be surprised at the amount of them that are women. So, yeah, I would say it's, a, it's an industry skewed to women. Owner of Bush Lemon Farm in Dow's Creek, 45 minutes west of Mackay, Juanita Bozel agrees there's a lot of women in the goat game. Certainly um, from a handling point of view, animal husbandry point of view, goats are a lot easier for women probably to handle, like manhandle, um, because they do require it sometimes. Um, yeah, I, I assume that that's possibly it. They're an easier animal for women to handle, for sure. It's good. It's good to see. It's good to see women involved and it's good to see um, goats coming to, you know, the forefront of people's minds when they're looking for their red meat choices for the week. University of Queensland PhD candidate Catherine Dawson studies parasites in goat meat and works with producers from central Queensland to central west New South Wales. She's found the scale of a farm can determine who runs it. It's interesting because I found that on some of the more extensive properties I've worked on, I would say it's male dominated. But then when I've been to the field day up north or worked a little bit more in southeast Queensland, I found it to be quite woman dominated and they're at the face of their farms or their management or their enterprise and, and they're the ones I'm having conversations with. I found that women tend to be more open to change and uh, adapting new techniques or management strategies that better some of these uh, businesses that are more intensive, such as the, the breeders, the stud breeders and things like that. And that potentially that's why I've had more interaction with them because they're quite interested in the research. Catherine says she sees a rise in not only female producers, but also in agricultural research. I think that slowly but surely we're seeing more girls and women come through university and into the ag industry. It is definitely still male-dominated. We're still a minority in, in that space, but I feel so excited by the fact that there is this slow change of women coming in. Primarily suited for the outback in Western Queensland, Catherine says goat producers in the tropics, like Juanita and Kylie, would see many challenges in raising kids in the humid conditions. Talking with a lot of producers up in that sort of tropical area, they don't get the break from the worms. They're under this constant pressure, which makes it really, really difficult uh, to really ever have a sustainable and sort of non-chemical management technique for some. It's also a lot more costly, just the amount they're putting in on worm treatment, prevention, and, and maintaining sort of healthy goats. It's, um, yeah, definitely not impossible. They've got the feed up there. Like all the goats I saw were fat as anything and looked very happy animals. So, 
why do Kylie and Juanita keep producing goats in the tropics if it's so difficult? They're quite addictive. (laughs) They really are quite addictive and they're so full of personality trying to use the goats in a whole system. Um, So we rotate the goats through our paddocks uh, along with our cattle who help us, the cattle will help us manage the worm issue and the goats help us manage the weeds. And just behind you, there is another one trying to escape, but I don't think that's Dennis the Menace, isn't it? Yes, that's Dennis. He's um, too big to escape. He's too fat to fit through that, the gap in the gate. (laughs) <laughs> I was going to say, he's a little bit stuck, I think. Yes. Strawberries and ice cream. Here we go. Strawberry on ice cream. I'm uh, Trevor Braun, and with my wife, Kerry, we operate Strawberries Galore. At an agricultural field day in South Australia's Riverland region, Trevor Braun is doing a busy trade, dishing up plates of fresh, sweet strawberries topped with cream. Managing this dessert food van has become a full-time pursuit for the former farmer, after droughts and health issues led Trevor and his wife Kerry to step away from life on the land. Back in, I think it was 2002, there was a, a bad drought in the Mallee because my wife and I, we'd been wheat and sheep farmers all our life. And um, of course, in a drought, you struggle where the money's going to come from. and. Um, Kerry's stepmom, Joan, she started the Strawberry Galore vans about 40 years ago. So uh, she said, just just take a van and operate it and generate some money. So that's, that's how it started. And yeah, we've loved doing it. It's been good. Hello, I'm Eliza Burlage and I'm chatting with Trevor, who these days is at ease serving customers from the front of the food van. But it wasn't always the case. I certainly, I wasn't very confident when we first started and there's no way that I'd be up the front counter uh, serving. I was happy to do the background work, but over time I got confident and and I love being up the front serving now. And yeah, it worked well with the farm when we were doing it together because this is mainly weekend work. And um, even in times of drought, you, you know that, you know, I would go around shift sheep, clean the water troughs on a Friday, put them in crash paddocks. Uh, and I, kn- I knew that the farm was not going to be any different Monday when I went around and checked everything. But mentally I felt better because um, you'd been out, you'd been in amongst people chatting and uh, generating some cash. And uh, yeah, it was good. So yeah, farming can be quite, I guess, isolating work. You're literally usually, you know, on a big property, often working on your own with a few other people. Um, and especially in the Mallee, we've got a lot of wide open space. Was it a weird ad- adjustment chatting with more people? Did you find that came quite naturally? Yeah, yeah, it did really. Yeah, because, um, yeah, really, Kerry and I, we did everything on the farm. It was only when we had our shearers come in, really, that we had outside labour. And then to come and do something like this, we loved it. We've, we've enjoyed every moment of it. How would you sort of explain your mental state during the drought before picking up working in the strawberry van compared to like after? Um, the big difference is when we were farming, it was good. And we, we worked the strawberry van and it worked okay, but it was a massive workload. And then I got affected with farm chemical and, and I just didn't want to be on the farm anymore and we decided to sell it and get off the land and uh, it's been one of the best decisions we've ever done. 
and like with farming, you know, you, you outlay your money 12 months in advance and hope that you get actually get it back. With a strawberry cart, yeah, outlay your money, or most of your money, you know, maybe two days before, and, and then the money's back in your pocket. That's, the, that's the, the big difference with this sort of work. And how long have your families been farming for? Well, forever, really, yeah. My mum and dad, Kerry's mum and dad, we've been on the land all our lives. And what did your family and friends or other farmers that you knew, you know, what did they think about you focusing fully on this food van? Oh, I'm not real quite sure how they felt about it or thought about it, but things happen in life and you make a decision and you just run with it. And we'd made that decision to sell the farm, get off the land, and it, it's been a good decision. It really has. It's so much easier just operating this. Yeah. And that's not to say that I don't... I still love doing a lot of farm jobs. I love it. But I can pick and choose uh, the jobs that I want to do now. Trevor Braun is a former farmer who now runs a food van selling strawberry dessert dishes. He spoke to Eliza Burlidge at an agricultural field day in regional South Australia. For more on that and all of today's stories, head online anytime to the ABC homepage, abc.net.au. Look for A Big Country. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening and bye for now. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.